My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Violation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. And my name is Nicole. Ah, welcome, Nicole. Yay, welcome, we're so Nicole. excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. So glad you're probably here. our last guest before the end of the books. Wow. It's quite I, the honor. We're so excited that you're you're in this position. I was just going to say, I am honored um, to be here for such an important book. And also, obviously, you've saved the best for last. So that's exciting. Of course. How true. Of course. We were like, every episode, we were like, all we want is for Nicole to come on the show. But we we've got to keep, save it. Right. We've got to save that it. That was a good decision. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. So you want to tell us a little bit about your, your Animorphs history? So... I will try, but the thing is my Animorphs history is a little bit lost to the sands of time. Mm. I would have told you that I read many of these books, estimate at least 20, and I would have said in elementary school, but when I checked the publication dates, only 10 of them existed by the time I was done with (laughs) elementary school. And there was like a big divide in my life at that point because I moved to Belgium um, at the start of sixth grade. So I was sure that I would remember whether it was pre-Belgium or post-Belgium or you know, during Belgium. Apparently, I didn't remember that. My mom did confirm, though, that scholastic book fairs were a thing that happened in elementary school in the U.S. and in Belgium in middle school. So that may uh, clear up some of that confusion. International. Yes, strongly, strongly connected with scholastic book fairs in my mind. Mm -hmm. I do not know how far I got in the series. It was definitely not as far as this book. So do you know anything that's going to happen after book 51? I absolutely do not. Um, I read, once I was scheduled to come on, I started reading. So I think I picked up at like 47, 48. And then I read up to here. And then I stopped because I really want to be able to help Gray with her predictions. Yay! Ah, Yes. Love it when people can do that. Me too. Very exciting. (laughs) I won't be helpful. No, no, that's okay. I'm terrible at this. So I need help every time. I'm very excited you're here. Gray keeps saying she's terrible at this. Don't believe her. She's actually... Queen of predictions. I think that's been exactly. established. Exactly. So you know. You're in the know. Thank goodness. <laughs> and uh, you listen to, you've listened to all of the podcast. Yes, I have. Nice. I have enjoyed the hell out of them and was heartbroken when I oh. caught up so I couldn't binge anymore. <laughs> so you're like, oh, okay, I need to listen to some more episodes. Oh, they're just not making them fast enough. I have to help them. Exactly. I'm have to come them exactly. Thank you. Yes, we're glad you're here. <laughs> What did you all think of this book? It was a lot. Um, it was kind of like a nonstop action sequence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. very exciting. I mean, it's it's public now. It's such a huge turning <laughs> yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, felt like the Marx Brothers go on an adventure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's perfect. When I think Marx Brothers, I think finesse. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah, perfect. They, uh, yeah, not so good with the finessing. I'm excited to talk about them going public. This is definitely a turning point and something that I feel they maybe should have done 52-ish books ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's not yeah. unreasonable. 
Yeah, so I really liked this book, remembered absolutely zero of it. And I was just so delighted to find a book because I haven't liked one very much since 45. And at this point, it's very fraught for me to be reading the books because I don't remember what happened. And it was so difficult for me as a child to see things sort of changing. And I mean, I don't know if devolving is the right word for the situation. Like maybe it's getting, yeah, spiraling out. There you go. That was so difficult for me. And I, I, it's, there's still a part of me that like hurts to see it now. So I'm like, oh, I know that things aren't going to get reset. Like, and I also know that like everyone's having a really tough time with the war. And this was just such a fun one as like a break from that. And like these late series books are really making me appreciate Marco more than I, more than I did as like, like the experience of reading Marco's point of view Hmm. is really enjoyable and valuable at this point in the series. Hmm. 10. I I like this book a lot. I feel like a little bit more, I, and I, I think I sound like Joyce Weeper when I say this, there's an opportunity cost in not having more pain featured in this book. <laughs> like my favorite part is the Jake and Cassie interaction. Uh, and like, mm-hmm. there's this whole thing of like, you hear at the end about all the bad stuff they were going through. And I'm kind of like, I kind of want to read what that battle was like. <laughs> But I do really appreciate, so like, this is the book that I didn't really remember what the quality of it was. I just remembered that it was like relatively fluffy. Mm-hmm. So part of me is like, oh, I, I really want to know like what's going on with Jake and Cassie. Like what's going on? Like it's it's great that Marco's happy or whatever, but like, is he really that happy? Like, <laughs> but mm-hmm. in terms of what the series is doing, where the book ends is like, it's really never going to be the same again. Like mm-hmm. it's it's been multiple books in a row where that's been the case, but like, yeah. it's nice to have kind of like a fun adventure that's like mostly silly this close to the end of the books because spoilers we're not going to get that again and it's fun to watch a fun adventure really advance the overall plot because normally they're kind of throwaways that you could skip over and not lose anything whereas this is a crucial silly adventure yeah right it's funny it's this weird like usually the fluffy books are the ones where you're like okay well we could have lifted that out of the series and it wouldn't really have changed anything like 14 where they investigate the horses and the andalite toilet (laughs) and in this one it is fluffy in that there's not a lot of angst but it's completely unfluffy in that it actually is very momentous and that Mm -hmm. is a contrast that i feel like we haven't seen all that much of in animorphs and i loved it i thought that was such a good combination because i don't enjoy the pain-filled books They are not my favorites. I like the fun adventures and the, you know, sassy comebacks. And this was a great combination of of that fun, but also like moving the plot forward, as you were saying. I was just gonna say, there's also a lot of great fan service. Uh, so do you want to hear what happens? Yes, in this please. please. Tell us everything. All right. So the book starts with an opening caper where Marco and Tobias, as birds, are following a train that is carrying National Guard tanks. And there's some kind of like the Animorphs are worried. Why is the National Guard coming to the city? Have they been infested yet? Are they going to be infested? There's some kind of military takeover plot happening and they're investigating. And while Marco and Tobias are checking out this train shipment, they see a flock of morph-capable controllers. So the Animorphs lost the morphing cube at the end of the last book, and now there are Yurk squadrons that can morph. And so a bunch of golden eagles and evil red-tailed hawks and Mm. evil peregrine falcons are also coming to the train. And Marco and Tobias get in a fight with them. They have to, like, morph and demorph to survive. And eventually their only out is to get inside one of the tanks. Um, which Marco figures out how to operate 
and drives off of the train. He then basically drives the tank back to the city and leaves it parked uh, on top of Chapman's house. And he and Tobias rejoin the rest of the Animorphs. And they're like, yeah, way to keep a low profile, guys. But, you know, so like, what do we know? What's going on? The Animorphs kind of have a council where they review like what's going on with the National Guard overall. Joining the Animorphs on their like top tier war council are Toby and Ava, finally. Yeah. And Jake basically says, okay, so what I'm gathering from this whole National Guard situation is we better act now before it's too late. So we're going to split the team in two. We're going to have one team cause a distraction and try and interrupt their infestation strategy. And we're going to have another team go public. We're going to go find the governor and tell tell him to call off the National Guard and hopefully alert the authorities and figure out if, you know, if the governor's not a controller yet, he'll be on our side. If he is, we'll have to figure out something else. Um, and so it's up to Jake to divide the, the squads. And um, Cassie volunteers for the talking to the governor mission. And Jake immediately shuts her down and sends Axe, Tobias, and Marco instead because he can't, he can't, he can trust them, implying that he can't trust Cassie. So interestingly, everyone in the group can tell that Jake and Cassie are on the outs, but nobody knows about Cassie's betrayal from the end of last book. That is a secret that seems to be being kept. So Marco has been really worried about Jake. He hasn't been the same since his family was all captured and they moved to the Hurkbajir Valley. And Marco additionally feels guilty because he's super happy having his parents back together and not having to go to school. And he's, <laughs> he's generally adjusted really well to his, his new life. And he feels guilty about that compared to his best bud, Jake. So Marco, Axe, and Tobias uh, are dubbed the finesse team as they go off on this mission to find the governor and tell him about the invasion. So they have a series of wacky misadventures involving acquiring ducks as long distance flyers, learning the location of the governor's mansion from a, uh, a guy called Chopper in a biker bar, showing up at the Gothic estate house of the governor and, um, realizing that the governor is going on a a mission somewhere in a limo so they figure out what to morph they morph roaches almost get killed on the way to this event and are following the governor seems like the governor and his wife are going to this dance function at maybe a hotel or something and eventually they get the governor alone in a room and they overhear some you know talk about like fundraising or whatever so they're like okay this person's definitely the governor i'm going to demorph so marco demorphs in front of the governor uses thought speak to be like look i you know don't freak out some weird stuff's about to happen and twist number one the governor is a woman the the person in high heels they were following is is the actually actually the governor somehow the animorphs don't know the gender of the governor of their state um i know they've been busy but i mean we'll talk about it we'll talk about it we don't have to get into it now and Twist number two, in this room are two bodyguards and the governor's husband. One of the bodyguards and the governor's husband are both controllers. So the Animorphs, before they they are able to tell a little bit of the story to the governor, but then they realize, no, we actually have to get out of here because the Yerks are going to come and try and kill or infest the governor right now. So they break out of the hotel, get back in the limo, do a, there's like a high-speed limo chase 
Axe is very honored to meet the governor, who is a great human leader. Um, the governor basically is a no-nonsense, like, pragmatist who's basically, like, who's able to, like, go with the flow and realizes once people start trying to kill her that she'd better listen to the bird, the gorilla boy, and the alien and proves herself very capable under fire. They drive the limo to a bridge and jump off the bridge onto a yacht, which then sinks. Marco steals a Dracon beam and blows up a helicopter. And eventually they get out of this sort of like high-speed chase situation and regroup back at the governor's mansion. So back at the mansion, the governor is reunited with her loyal security guard, Collins. Oh, Collins. The uninfested bodyguard. Um, And they're basically like, what do we do now? They explain, okay, National Guard, something, something. Who do we know that we can trust? And the governor is like, okay, well, I'm going to order everybody to stand down. But some of them are probably infested, so we can't rely on that. But I do know there's a whole platoon of soldiers that's been off base doing, like, war games for the past two weeks. So they're not going to have access to a Kintrona. They must all be free. So she knows she can count on this guy, Colonel Larson or something. And she calls him and they feel like they can they can trust him. Um, she also has like a, there's a policeman who she knows she can trust for similar reasons. He's been away for more than three days. But before the good guys can show up at her manor, Visser won and a platoon of infested soldiers shows up at the governor's mansion basically to be like, we're taking we're taking you in. It's all over. So to get out of this situation, Marco morphs the governor uh, and gives himself up to Visser 1. Axe and Tobias eventually rescue Marco from that situation, and they escape and regroup with the other animals. Turns out, Jake, Cassie, and Rachel, we don't learn much about what's been going on with them, but they got into a... With the free Horkbajir and maybe the auxiliary animorphs, they got into a desperate battle against National Guard troops, and Colonel Larson shows up around midnight and saves the day. The details of the aftermath of that battle are are quite scarce, but the Animorphs all regroup and are watching the governor's announcement on TV. She declares a state of emergency and says, this isn't martial law, this is a state of emergency. You can't trust the police, you can't trust the military, you can't trust your own family. Aliens are here, this is what's going on. And the Animorphs watch a little bit of her TV broadcast and then turn off the TV and the book ends. Good summary. Yeah. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I'm increasingly confused by how much power the governor of California seems to have. <laughs> oh yeah, let's talk about that. It's like it's this amazing fantasy of what being an executive is, right? <laughs> yeah. Axe ghost wrote this book. Like you just need you just need to get on the phone and be like, Yeah, okay, I'm the governor, you do what I say, like stand down, blah blah blah. It's a little weird to me that she's able to it's more that at the end she's able to like call this press conference to talk mm. about the Yurk invasion. Like, it seems the kind of thing that maybe you want to get the next level up involved in, because I'm not sure the governor of Arkansas is listening to the governor of California. So I agree with that, but I don't think the president's going to jump on TV and start talking about this before he's seen evidence of it. And at this point, he's not. That's and the point. I'm assuming, again, oh, I assumed he's a man. Maybe the president's also a lady <laughs> in this world, but... <laughs> Yeah, good point. Because the governor of California in 2001, probably at this point, is definitely not a woman. And the governor's mansion they described is is not right. I looked it up. 
Ooh, nice. Nice. I, I, the whole the governor is a woman thing was Ugh. so dumb. <laughs> Just like I hated it so much. Why I was are you patting yourself on the back so yep. much for like, haha? The doctor is a woman. Like, yep, it's yep. so dumb. <laughs> Every time the it's so dumb. I love the governor's yes. character. She's she right? Make her a woman. So you don't have to talk the, about it ad nauseum. Right. So the the fact that it's supposed to be like a twist and it's you're supposed to be like, whoa, so woke, right? Like <laughs> undermines the fact that she's a legit awesome character. And it makes me think, oh, she's just now like a Mary Sue strong woman. Like she can do, she can drive yachts and, you know, do whatever and never, never cries and just drinks <laughs> shitty coffee. And she's like, <laughs> she's perfect, right? She's so great. And then like the Rachel comparison was like one deeply weird, like, is she a time traveled Rachel? Why are you describing her like this? But also, okay, then, no, I liked the Rachel. I did comparison. too. I, I liked the comparison to Rachel, but then there was a moment where Marco says something like, "I thought she," where he gets a flash that she's actually Rachel. Oh no, I think that was just. Some, and I was it like, was poorly, very it confused. was poorly written. I agree, Gray. There was yes. a moment where I was like, "What weird Elemis shit is happening right now?" Exactly. <laughs> And I got super annoyed about it and then realized that it was probably just poorly written. Like, fine. But then yeah. at the end, Rachel's the one who's like, she's a woman. Oh, my God. And yeah. I was like, it's like, oh, we've gotcha. Gotcha, Rachel. You're not really the feminist. The only good thing about that twist prior to that point had been when Marco and Tobias have the realization that the governor's a woman. Tobias looks at Marco and says... I won't tell Rachel if you won't. Like, let's not ever let Rachel know that we assumed the governor was a dude. And then at the end of the book, Rachel does exactly the same thing, as though she of all yeah. people would not. That was know. really annoying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I liked that moment from Tobias. And then the punchline yeah. was bad. Yeah. Dumb. So I, I think the thing where they don't know who the governor is is especially dumb. When they have been watching the military action, they've been observing, like, they've been keeping an eye on the news to be like, what are the Yerks doing? There's just no way. I do have a headcanon that Axe knew, because Axe has been the one monitoring all the communications. He knows exactly who the governor is. He's a longtime fan. He thinks this woman is super cool. And that's why he's extra excited to meet her finally in the So limo. he's just giving Tobias and Marco a hard time when he's like, you don't even know oh, yeah. who the governor lives? He's just he's just playing them. Yeah. I love I actually really like that headcanon. That yeah. Axe is a huge local politics nerd. <laughs> so wait, we should I mean there's probably a lot more to say about the or the, there might be more to say about the governor's gender, oh, yeah. but I want to go back oh, well, to the like yeah. the small scale response at the end. It's so fascinating to me just the way that it is pitched in this book of like the federal government might be sending troops to help us with this very local problem of an alien invasion, <laughs> right? It's interesting for a couple of ways. One is like, it's a unique approach to take in sci-fi where it's kind of like, I feel like usually it's like Independence Day, the mothership is over the White House type thing, right? Mm. Like, but this is like, okay, the aliens picked, you know, California and they have a very intense local presence, but they haven't gone global yet. That is kind of like an interesting and unique story to tell. They're not going to get into the logistics of it in the series like The Animorphs, but it is kind of like a cool approach. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, one, I'm pretty sure the Yerks are all over the place. So like if I'm worried that they're not they're not more worried that like all of France has been infested or, or whatever, mm. right? Like some other head of state. We know that probably. some other head of state in back in the 20s got infested, right? So it's definitely not just a local problem. And like the idea of that there's almost like tepid response of like, well, we'll send in the army a little bit, I guess. But like, I feel like people would have a much stronger reaction to 
alien invasion. It's this interesting thing that that pops up in sci-fi and fantasy where you have kids who are based in a specific location fighting some sort of paranormal menace. And you have to figure out, okay, why is this paranormal menace only here? Like in Buffy, where, okay, she lives on a hellmouth. That's why all the vampires come here. And we're just not going to worry about the vampires in the rest of the world. All the really serious stuff happens here. And in this, they sort of have this, well, this is where the Yerk pool is. So Yerks all have to be close to it. They never really address could they just build a yerk pool somewhere else they build a lot of stuff why don't they just do that is it really hard to build a candrona i don't know um so it is this a little bit this false conceit yeah they build a temporary yerk pool in this book which yeah that's a concern what does that mean how do we even know that those troops on on military exercise didn't have their own temporary yerk pool right yeah. Also, the Yurks seem so unprepared for this to happen. I mean, we, we don't get anything of the response, right? But like, and obviously, Visser 1 is hugely, hugely incompetent, <laughs> as yes. we see again in this book. Like, but, why didn't he already infest the governor? Not just her husband. Right, right, right. So there's some, there's some thing. We've talked before about like, what could possibly justify the Yurks being so bad at this invasion, right? And like, maybe we just have to take it that they're they're not that good. But like, even since... Like, since book 46, when we had soldiers fighting soldiers on an aircraft carrier, there should be some kind of, like, military response going on. So, like, do the Yerks not have standing orders to, like, start killing people if the secret goes public? Or, like, it's just weird that there's no contingency planning that we see evidence of. Yeah, also, if the soldiers on the aircraft carrier were infested, they must have a Condrona on the aircraft carrier, which means they have portable Condronas. And... I don't think that the soldiers are all from Southern California. So presumably at some point there are infested people elsewhere in the United States on leave from their aircraft carrier. But like now they can't because they need a Kendrona. Like it just, there are, as I have complained before multiple times, some of the yurt pool stuff did not make any sense. They built a temporary yurt pool. Where? How? Where's the Condrona? If you could have done that all along, why weren't you doing that all along? Like, you must have one in Paris or Russia or wherever the head of state is. Like, it, it is that sort of local problem that you described. And this book does not, to my mind, adequately describe why it is the way it is. The other potential, I don't think the series is actually going to go this way, but this could just be a first step because now the governor's on board with this being a real thing. So the response is going to be local where the authorities actually believe in it. And that could theoretically Mm -hmm. lead to that that being uncovered elsewhere around the world. Obviously, that foreign head of state is not flying into California every three days to re-up on Candrona. So I agree. Like, there are numerous reasons to believe it's going on elsewhere. But maybe it is. And they just... I think the the book doesn't really address it. And it's a little bit outside the Animorphs purview, Mm -hmm. maybe. But it, it does seem likely that the problem is not just in Southern California, but that's the only place that the military is dealing with it now. I think what bothers me about it is, I think what you were saying, Jenny, is right. It's like, it's part of the conceit of the series. And like, if you think about it too much, it'll it'll collapse. And it's just kind of like what series like this do. But it's been so important that they not tell people. Mm. But since it is revealed here, how, uh, how local the problem is and how like, you know, they did get lucky to a large degree here. The but, governor was accepting and not mm-hmm. infested. Right. But the fact that, you know, there's 
there's probably always going to be several platoons of people that you know are uninfested. So they should have just done this a lot sooner, right? Like there's, cause like you'd think like, oh, they go public and then suddenly there are a ton of bad consequences and they realize, oh shoot, everyone's already infested and now they're just going to start killing people in the streets or whatever, right? Like you didn't get any of the fallout like that in this book. It, se- it just sort of seems like, why did you wait so long? Well, we didn't see what happened next in yeah. this book. So I guess no, we don't know but, but there's not going to be fallout like that. And, like, there probably will be some kind of fallout. But do you know what has been happening, like, in the intervening years? Like, people are being infested. People mm-hmm. are dying. People are losing, like, at one point, the Yerks are calling out of their head and leaving these people in pain and, like, mental anguish. And we're letting them happen so that these six kids can be all, like, going off on their own in Southern California. Tell the governor! Because they just, at one point, the governor, like, I, she's awesome and I love her two pieces. But I was like, oh no, you know, people are going to think she's crazy. Like, they're absolutely going to lock her up for this because she's going around talking about aliens. And then they bring in the McDonald. So he's the head of the state police or something. I don't know. Some role like that. And he is very skeptical. And then there's X and he's big blue alien. And he's like, you, you've got to be kidding. And, and X says like, she is not joking. My presence should prove that. And the guy's like, yeah, good point. Yes, that is a good point. And, you know, you can prove that there are aliens because a big blue alien. Like, I, I don't I don't understand why we waited yeah, they this talk long. about it a little bit in Visser when Marco's like, maybe it would be better to let humanity fight back. And Ava's like, yeah, but a lot of people would die. Which is, you know, that's probably true. But it is like the longer you wait before you go to that step, the more people will be infested and so so like the better a foothold the Yerks will have and you're probably going to get to that open war step at some point anyway. Like yeah. I don't think there was ever an idea that like, I don't know, we'll mess up enough of the Yerks stuff that they'll just go home. Well, I guess they were waiting for the end. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking the yeah, same yeah. thing. So I part of me definitely just wants to kind of like hate on their decision making and be like they could have done better. But actually, it does make sense. They've been in this holding pattern of like the Andalites will save us all mm-hmm. and like they'll know how to do it really well. And like the Yerks mm-hmm. will just roll over and there won't be these we won't if we if we start an open war now before the Andalites arrive. And we don't we'll have the level of weaponry lose, that right? the Yerks have. We don't have the kind and what, of spacecraft they have. But yeah. we have like Death Wish Jake now leading the group. And, and the Andalites have been very unhelpful. Right. They finally they reached, reached the Andalites. They reached out to the Andalites, and the Andalites were like, yeah, no. Probably um, not, yeah. <laughs> so now now it does make sense that they're ready to take this step. Okay, yes, all right. Now I'm coming back around to, like, it makes sense that they didn't, they didn't do this I sooner. Mean, yes, but also, there have been people dying in the intervening time. Like, yeah, but that's a very different scale think, than the Yerks yes. start blowing up cities. The interesting point is that I think... It seems clear that they could have gotten to the point of humans versus Yerks anytime they wanted to without losing immediately. It's unclear how a humans versus Yerks war will go. We're probably Mm -hmm. about to find out. Mm -hmm. But like, I think part of the fear in going forward was like, it won't even work. We'll just tip our hands to the Yerks and then they'll infest everyone. It'll be game over. Like humanity won't Mm -hmm. even be able to fight back. But it seems pretty clear that like, there will be an ability for more than six people to fight back against the Yerks. But it is also a risky move. Like the governor could have, you know, not not gone along with that. 
them. They, the governor could have been infested and just really sneaky about it. It seems like that wasn't the case. But yeah, it's it's definitely a risky move. And also, I think what they were relying on and not telling people is like the Yerks trying to be secret also really makes things more difficult for the Yerks. Like the Yerks are being restrained because they're trying to keep humanity from fighting back. And Visser 1, formerly Visser 3, really wanted to do that whole open war thing. And they were like, yeah, that's going to be like the worst thing for Earth. We probably can't survive that. Yes. And I, I especially see your point about, I mean, they have bug fighters. I don't know how many, but like a few. They seem to have a bunch. Yeah, which... How? Why? Where? Where do they come from? Where are they living right now? Why are? Th- why do they have so many bug fighters? Um, I think they're like probably in the pool ship in orbit, or and a bunch of them are in that like cavern under the ocean. So we should, you know, find the pool ship in orbit. But no, my point is like I see where you're coming from. Like definitely the Yerks have a lot of firepower that they have not tapped into yet, and waiting for the Andalites does seem like a reasonable, if you didn't know the Andalites, seems like a reasonable <laughs> way to do it. If you've only ever met Elfengor, then you're like yes. All of the Andalites are great. Like, we will wait for them to come and save us. I just am glad that now more people know, because if most of the National Guard troops have been infested, then it's real good you've got one battalion that isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. and that you can, like, now kind of protect a little bit. And also just having people know about it means that they're less likely to, like, go into this creepy underground cavern because their friend told them it was a cool club. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we're moving forward because it seems like really the only way that this can come to any kind of conclusion. Although I still don't know what the end game is, so. I, honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> we should we should circle back to predictions later. Yeah, I think that um, if they were ready to escalate, and maybe even go public. Because I don't think the Animorphs made a clear decision to go public in this book. They were trying to inform the governor that didn't necessarily need to end yeah, in them being right, on TV. Right. But I think that that made it a riskier decision. Arguably, it would have been a much better strategic call to make an enormous alien-filled ruckus on some sort of live broadcast rather than put three of you in cockroach form in a room with four people who might be controllers. Because assuming this is real and you're not wearing plot armor, that very easily could have ended with half of the core Animorphs group dead. So the fact Mm -hmm. that they wound up, you know, things went wrong and they had to quote unquote kidnap the governor and make a big scene on television was hugely valuable to them. And if that hadn't happened, they would have been Mm. in a much more difficult position. The governor would have been calling the president and he would have been dismissing her as a crackpot rather than watching the footage and saying, whoa, I better send some troops. That's such a good point. Really good point. Hmm. Yeah. Choices. (laughs) made. Right. They probably wouldn't have wanted to make a big ruckus without having some people in authority, like, physically there to keep them from being immediately infested. Because if things do go public, the Yerks presumably are immediately going to target government leaders. Although, honestly, they should have been doing that all along. That's why they need Grey as an advisor. It is funny, though, that, like... The governor wasn't like, yeah, remember when that aircraft carrier got attacked? And like, yeah, remember when there was that like guy on TV who had a meltdown? And like, remember, like, just be like, here are all these That's things so that yeah, the everybody series, knows about. That The series doesn't do that many callbacks, um, but the, this would have been a good time for them. Jeremy, Jason, Nicole, if you're out there, thank you for well, your they service. They didn't even have time to tell the governor that those things were related. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Also, Jeremy Jason McCall was a voluntary controller. Yeah, so... that's not maybe thankful. That's too right. Much. Yeah. Good point. There were a couple of good callbacks in this book, though. 
there's uh Melissa comes back and like we see Rachel. I am I'm so I'm on Rachel's side here. <laughs> you yeah. destroyed Melissa's house. What is the point of doing that? Like what did that how did that help? You parked a tank on a house in a quiet suburban neighborhood for no good reason. Don't you think that Marco Yeah, no. Marco just yeah, really well, wouldn't wanted Marco to do wanted that. to do that just if it was the assistant principal and there were no aliens involved? <laughs> Yes. I mean, yes, 100%. It's like the yes. ultimate prank to pull on a teacher. <laughs> yes. He doesn't even have to go to school anymore, and now he can finally get his revenge for all those years he did. Uh, ridiculous. Um, also, Fluffer McKitty is yeah. is cited and Fluffer is McKinney. fine. Fluffer McKitty oh, yeah, is fine, yeah. just in case you were worried. Also, <laughs> Fluffer McKitty is not called Although Fluffer McKitty. Although that's McNutter. great, too. <laughs> I laughed really hard. Oh, man. Melissa's okay. She doesn't actually show up in this. The incredible fan service of Marco driving a tank poorly. (laughs) It's like the ultimate Marco driving punchline. I'm so happy about it. But then there's a second punchline later when when Tobias is driving poorly and Marco says, you can never take another shot at me for this. (laughs) Yeah. I love um, that I'm, so hard. I'm looking forward to definitely in the next couple of books, uh, Marco is going to get to drive the space oh, shuttle. God. That's my prediction. And he's going nice. to drive like it. it poorly. It's going to go badly. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it makes sense because Tobias was a 13-year-old boy and he's missed out on multiple years of playing video games to train up for his driving experience. And he's never taken like a driving class or anything. Marco probably had to do that. They're talking about getting him his license a few books back. I, oh, wow. Were they? Yeah. I have a question about video games. Yes. Because listen. It about Tank Commander or I don't, or whatever? Yes. I, I don't play a ton of, of video games. And I've certainly never tried playing Tank Commander, whatever it was. Um, but are the controls on video games Commando. so realistic that you would know which button on the handles is the throttle versus the transmission button? I, which, by the I way, I regret is- to inform you, <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> But I like kidding. Yeah. I will show you. Well, I was oh, just go ahead, Marco Nicole. even takes a moment to be like, whoa, do, do the people making these video games realize that <laughs> yeah. like an elementary school child can now drive a tank? <laughs> well, that was also like taking a jab at the army for just labeling their tank <laughs> controls yes. so well. Yeah. I, I did look this up. I'm just, I'm pulling up a picture to show you like simulation video games have a long and storied history and the ones that are popular more popular nowadays are like truck driving simulator or like farm equipment simulator or whatever but back in the day it was a lot more like flying a fighter jet or or in this case driving a tank there are a ton of tank driving simulator games there is none called tank commando there is like a tank commander there's like m1 tank command there are a bunch of games that it could have been from the 80s and 90s so this is m1 tank platoon a screenshot of it mm-hmm. as you can see the depiction of the view of the real world outside the tank is incredibly boring and most of the game is a dashboard of tank controls okay so the handlebar wait bring it back we're gonna put this in the show notes obviously because i'm desperately trying to figure out so it well so this is unfortunately thing. this on wikipedia it is the gunners of you so it, there's not a thing with oh, okay. the throttle because that, but that i that imagine the rest of the game is like this was it's right grip throttle left grip transmission gear switch under my left thumb which i only know for driving stick but like i didn't have a transmission button like you have the clutch and you have the gear switch but not 
Like, what is a, what is a transmission button is, I guess, what I'm really asking. So, but I was like, I guess if you have it, if it's that realistic, it just seemed weird to me that <laughs> he could just jump in and be like, yes, right grip throttle, left grip transmission. Let's do this. Like, they definitely were, like, doing a lot of work to be like, yes, it's very realistic that Marco can drive this tank because we want Marco to drive a tank and it's going to be I was great. willing to let him have that one personally because I enjoyed watching Marco drive <laughs> Yeah, fair tank. enough. I very it much enjoyed so it. That great. whole scene was hilarious. So I just, I want to check in. To me, the first scene where Marco and Tobias are following a train that's moving very quickly that is loaded mm-hmm. with tanks, and mm-hmm. then they capture a tank and drive it off of the train and almost over a cliff. To me, like, everything that I just said is, like, the ultimate, like, teen boy candy. It's just, like, tanks and trains and, yep. like, uh, high-speed <laughs> chases and stuff. So, like, just, this is, like intrinsically cool to me down to the deepest bones of my soul. But I'm wondering if this is how much of a gendered thing this is. (laughs) No, it's super, super cool. Like the tank thing was great. Awesome. What about the train thing? (laughs) The train thing's also pretty cool. It was a little bit, I was a little distracted by having questions about what exactly they were doing and why and blaming Cassie in my head for how bad things are about Mm. to get. Yeah, but I was I was, was more cool. focused on the battle against the more capable controllers than the train. Mm. So the, the the train specific joy might might be might be a U thing, might be a gender thing. Stealing tanks from a train. It's very cool. <laughs> it's amazing. I feel those tanks should be held down better. No, it's not like if you weren't a gorilla. You aren't expecting exactly. a gorilla. No one expects a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That was also super gratifying where he's like, oh, yeah, there's all this, like, security to keep the tanks from, like, going off the train. It doesn't matter. I'm a gorilla. And he just rips through all of it. Like, that is was just wonderful. Yeah, and, like, that there wasn't actually security. The security was six birds who don't really know how to fly. Like, I have questions. Yeah, six birds who probably morphed for the first time, like, two days ago. Like, not a lot of time has passed, I think. But they're also, like, they right. have morphing power. Mm-hmm. They want to use it. And they're like, now we have everything. Now we can morph. And so, of course, they're going to be like, yeah, we're going to have morphed guards. And it's going to be the best thing ever. Yeah, they're not going to be cautious or like maybe those guards were supposed to be on the train just guarding it, but they all had morph capability now, and they were like, "Guys, let's just go eagle." (laughs) What if we fly instead? Birds could definitely keep up with trains. Yes. Have we ever answered the question whether you need someone who knows how to morph to be holding the cube while someone else morphs? I thought we determined like apparently we do not need that because of like the ant. I want to say is. Okay, well, 39 was weird, but in no, but 40, 49, did Tobias have to demorph to, like, touch the cube? No, the Lauren, Lauren, okay. Lauren just touches the cube. Okay. So I think it's a, I think it's a recent-ish retcon, because, like, when they sing Mbop and give David the power, <laughs> they're all definitely, like, touching the cube at the same time. Yes, good point. And that is how it worked with Elfangor, but maybe he was just doing it, like, ritually, and that's how mm. the cube works. I don't okay. know. I was just wondering, because I then the image I have is, like, Visser 3 with, like, a line of people <laughs> out the door, like, holding the cube, and each of them comes and, like, puts their hand on the cube. That's probably oh, still it, because you would never want to let go of it. But, Liz, like, we... Tom isn't in this book at all. We have True. no idea what happened in the fallout of Tom, like, mm. fleeing Visser 1. he's still alive. Right. Oh, yeah. That's You're wild. right. Because this is not, presumably, his personal oh. trove of controllers. Oh no, he must have given the box. But it is interesting. We do like we see, yeah, 
It must have, but like we don't see anyone in Visser One's military squad mm-hmm. morphing at the end. Right? Oh, but they must be able we to. We see morphing mm-hmm. people guarding the train, morphing people in the gardens, but we don't see them with Visser huh. One at the end. It's interesting. Although presumably, yeah, but then the other thing is like we've talked before about whether or not Visser One would even want other people to have oh, the morphing ability. Yeah, so he might be being a little choosy. Yeah. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna feel like not special anymore. Like, who cares about being an Andalite if he let the ice cream guy in the zoo get a morph? Like, I don't think they're being. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay, you're right. He's still an Andalite. He still has the best monster morph. That's true. You know, yeah, the one Andalite controller still has some cash. Okay, so I will say I want to talk about what it was like having enemy morphers because to me, the moment in the gardens when the ice cream guy turns into a leopard or whatever, I was like, oh my God, this is actually awesome. Like, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Jenny, but it's so it's so exciting to have people no. be able to turn into animals that are going to attack you from anywhere. <laughs> like, it it's is... It's definitely an interesting new dynamic. Yeah. And Tobias observes, he's like, I almost mm-hmm. feel bad for Visser 1. And it very much was, like, the same sentiment from the David books where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, this is why the Visser hates us so much because it's so horrible to fight people who can be in any form. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it's like a nice challenge. I, I can, like, I wouldn't have wanted that to be there for most of the series because that kind of ruins the fun. But at this point, like, yeah, it's part of the escalation. It makes sense. I guess it's kind of fun, maybe. I, I think mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, like, in the first fight, when Marco's a bird, he's like, wow, I'm going to die. And then he morphs back to human. He's like, okay, well, they can tear chunks out of my legs, but I'm not going to die. And I can morph again, right? Like, they're uh-huh. just birds now. Like, this is fine. And then he becomes a gorilla and he's like, uh-huh. even more indestructible. It's neat to see that kind of like, when both people, it's like the David thing, I guess, when both people can morph and demorph, uh-huh. the battles it drag on and on and on because mm-hmm. you can keep mm-hmm. kind of like yeah. restarting. Like one and Rachel, and it Super also, Rachel, it, rather. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a totally necessary thing for the escalation. Like, okay, well, we had this one thing. Crap, we don't even have this one thing anymore. It's like, you know, everything has to get stripped away from you and then you, you know, make it really tough at the end. I will say my problem with this new normal is not based in this book, so I'm only going to say it really quickly because I'm sure you covered it in the last episode you recorded, but my problem is that every time I see a morph-capable controller, I want to smack Cassie because she went from being the best Animorph to being the worst Animorph very quickly in my estimation. Extremely bad decision-making, and I don't think I'll ever be able to forgive her for it, and every time a bad guy morphs, I'm going to be reminded of that. But That is how I felt during this book, was I just, yeah. every time I was like, God damn it, Cassie. Like, you did this, and it's whatever reasoning you had, you've given the Yerks a power that they that is going to be truly destructive to your friends. Yep. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I mean, we did. We pretty much covered it last time. It didn't really make a lot of sense as a decision. And it, like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, well, the writing was kind of bad, but there's only so much you can throw that at a book series if you're, like, trying to analyze it on its own term. Yeah. So, I mean, Yeah. I, like, I hope yeah. we get to hear some more. Like, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued to see what happens if the other Animorphs find out. Like, they don't know yet. We yeah. can talk about Jake and Cassie. I don't know if we want to talk about that now. but I can't say any more to defend Cassie because it doesn't come up in the book. Fair. I wish I could. Hmm. 
Oh, I was just going to say, I'm really glad that this book followed Marco, Tobias, and Axe, because I would much rather have this conversation than whatever shit Jake and Cassie are going through. Um, I would be less excited to discuss Mm. that book. Yeah, this was great. I mean, I guess we could have had Rachel in with this team also, but like, I guess she's having a few more issues with her mom and her family and stuff. But like, these are the three who don't have active Mm -hmm. issues right now. Like, two of them just got their families restored in a way they never thought would be possible. And like, Axe is fine. Like, I don't know. Axe is still being out of danger in the same way. I love that, like, especially in the first mission, it struck me that Marco and Tobias are like the happiest Mm -hmm. that they've ever Mm -hmm. been. Yeah. Right, in their lives, or at least in the last, you know, three or four years. And not only that, but they're such good buddies right like Mm, they start out the series where like tobias is the most vulnerable and marco is like really mean to everyone right and so there's like this dynamic over the first 10 books where like marco Mm -hmm. is picking on tobias and being like a little insensitive about the whole bird thing and now they're just like totally best buds Mm -hmm. right like talking Mm -hmm. about okay i won't tell rachel if you won't like making jokes about driving yeah saving each other's lives like they do the whole like fake out suicide move Mm -hmm. thing to each other He's like, yeah. can you give a gorilla a heart attack, man? Like, <laughs> so aw. cute. He was very concerned. I love it so yeah. much. You know, Tobias is the only one I've never shipped Marco with. I mean, maybe we should just <laughs> add him to the list. <laughs> the other kind of nice piece of that is that Marco feels a little guilty, I think, about this. But he says, like, he's the only one. He has had his family restored to him, as you said, in a way that he never thought possible. And he feels guilty for that, that he's, his family is safe while Jake's family has been torn away from him. Mm -hmm. He says, I felt guilty because I was so happy. And I feel like it's something that we haven't, that Marco hasn't been happy before. Like we haven't seen Marco be happy. And for 50 books, it's been, you know, at the beginning it was Marco, like his mom was dead and he was so devastated that people weren't understanding that he had lost a parent. And you know, everyone else has these like happy families and like his mom is dead and then he finds out who she is and it's like worse and then his dad gets remarried and like he's had a lot of familial issues. And I think some of his kind of brattiness has been born of his unhappiness and not that that's an excuse, like people can be unhappy and still be kind, but... Yeah, it doesn't excuse it, but it is something that's feeding into it. But I think that feeds it. And and now to have him be happy and therefore be actually a better member of the team mm-hmm. is kind of a nice note for him, right? You see him soothing tempers and having people get along better and using his humor effectively and also being like a kid again in a lot of ways, like stealing mm-hmm. a tank and being proud of his video game experience. And we haven't seen a lot of that And I liked getting some of his, some of what it looks like to have a happy Marco, especially in comparison to unhappy Jake. Yeah, I do think it was funny. We were talking about how the the Marco guest slots were like the first ones to be snapped up at the end of the series. And it was funny, like, because I mean, I don't know, I have all the Marco, the Marco books were all kind of middle of the pack for me, but they have been the most enjoyable at this end of the series because he's happy and he's fun. And it's, yeah, it's a, a real peak for him, I feel like, in terms of I, enjoyability. All right. I'm here to rain on the parade. Oh, Nicole, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that I asked for a Marco book before I knew that Marco's life was going to get put back together. Um, I guess that's so, true. And I think that yeah. may be true of all the other people who claimed Marco books too. Some of us have loved Marco always, despite his very problematic <laughs> characteristics. 
So I, I, I do love Marco, but I'm about to rain on this oh, parade no. of Marco love. So Marco says he feels guilty. He says he feels guilty because Jake's has lost everything and he's gained everything. And I buy that. And it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. You know what he doesn't feel guilty about? He doesn't feel guilty about Nora. Nora? Yeah. Ooh, that's so he, true. He just says without reflecting, like, yeah, my parents are more in love than they've ever been. Right? I seem to remember a little bit of like unresolved tension here where he let his father's second wife become a controller mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, destroyed a, a love relationship. And, you know, I we haven't seen Peter and, and Ava grapple with the fact that their last two years of their marriage were fake. You know, like there's a whole lot. There's a whole lot there. Yeah, it's a little that out doesn't of scope, come up. I guess. Yeah, yeah totally out of yeah. scope. But anyway, that it's like a... It's a thread that they choose not to follow up on. Right. Mm-hmm. So and far, I mean, whatever. And the way that Marco describes it is that she and my dad, his, his parents are still nauseatingly in love. And I was like, I do not remember that description of their marriage at any point in these books at all. Like, we had a whole conversation about how his dad is happier when his mom is a controller because she's, like, just going along to get along because she's got other things to do. And, like... The fact that her personality had to be so manipulated in order for them to have a happy marriage is, like, real f***ed up. And, like, again, not a thread they're going to pick up. Of course not. But, like, as an adult reading these, I'm like, I do not remember them being nauseatingly in love. What I remember is bad relationship, had kid, had two years of good stuff because the controller, like, couldn't give a about having a real relationship and was just, like, you know, doing whatever the dad wanted. And then she left for, like, five years. So... Yeah, nauseatingly in love seems like a bit of a stretch. (laughs) I do think there was something about, like, I think Marco referenced his parents' PDA earlier on in the series. Like, like he remembers, like, seeing that or something. I feel like that might be, like, beyond what he was referring to. Address scope. Yeah, I I do think, I, I think you're correct. It is extremely disturbing that Marco's dad thinks that the last two years of their marriage were, like, some kind of perfect love. I don't necessarily think that we ever had the relationship before that described as, like, a terrible relationship. You could maybe infer it from, like, well, okay, if he likes that version it must be but I do think that like having had a strong relationship with someone would carry like even if they're not quite being themselves you might you know you'd still carry a lot of that into it and you know he said something about like you know we would squabble sometimes like normal couples and he seemed to think that that was a perfectly fine state of affairs it wasn't like they had a terrible relationship and then Edris fixed it on the surface like I, I think you're, I think you're overstating I, I think it's possible yeah. that they had like a decent marriage with like some unfortunate preferences on his part when she stopped I don't know wanting to engage in well I, I think I was remembering specifically some line about how like when Marco was a kid she felt trapped and I, there was something about her See, this is the problem with only reading the books once. I yeah, couldn't I don't, begin I don't to tell about, you where we read that, this yeah. or when, but I just, I have a vague memory of her being unhappy as a young mother and in that yeah. relationship. Oh, I think we did speculate that maybe she would have joined the sharing because she was like a young immigrant mother who like needed connections or something. But I don't think that was actually in the books anywhere. And it doesn't seem like she was involved in the sharing. It's deeply difficult for me to tell at this point what I, the I remember, I, I do think you're onto something, Gray, but I'm not sure if those were Ava feelings or Edris feelings. 
Yeah, also, or gray feelings. Like, or I gray feelings. Yeah. So I'm not done writing on Marco though because oh, please, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so, oh yeah, I should also say I'm not saying he's become like a perfect paragon of humanity. Oh, I just, no, no, I'm not saying that either. He's but, become very fun but, to read. So the the text actually doesn't. I think there's a big missed opportunity here for Marco, and we're not going to know. We maybe we'll come back to this in a future episode, or maybe it won't matter. But he sees Jake being utterly terrible to Cassie. Mm-hmm. These are his two closest friends, and he does absolutely nothing about it because he feels guilty, and maybe because he feels like it's none of his business to like get involved in like something between the two of them Mm -hmm. but like obviously one cassie seems to be really hurting you'd think that maybe he could reach out to her even if he's feeling guilty about jake's stuff and be like hey what's going on you know we know that jake's been having a really tough time so like i'm so sorry Mm. that he's treating you this way right jake is you know he's making a lot of very aggressive and reckless decisions Had it not been the case that Colonel Larson's troops were uninfested and available, Jake, Rachel, Cassie, and whoever, whatever free Horpagier were fighting with them, Mm -hmm. all would have died. They all would have died in this book, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so that Marco is content to, like, be on the special ops team and kind of, like, have fun and take orders and stuff Mm -hmm. and is not identifying and trying to help this, like, big, big rift that is forming on his team is Mm. I I think something that he should feel more guilty about. There, to be fair, the whole presentation of the book is that we need to make these things happen and we need to make them happen now. There's not a lot of time for chit chat and emotional check-ins, or at least there doesn't seem to be. And also what the other half of the team is heading off to do is to like, quote unquote, create chaos. Like they don't say we're going to engage in pitch warfare against the National Guard. They're going to like make some things go boom Mm. and distract people. And that's something they've been doing for 50 books um, with no casualties. So I don't Mm. think that necessarily going into it, their half of it had to be higher stakes. I do Mm. think you're right, Ted, that um, Marco probably is falling down a little bit on the friendship front with both Jake and Cassie. I think it's very much in Marco's personality to be like, okay, well, I'm not the one, I'm not the right person to have like a touchy-feely emotional conversation. Like he has been on the receiving end of that from Cassie and it seems like has benefited from it somewhat, but I think he would see it as a limitation in himself that he can't do that. Mm -hmm. I think that that is also him choosing to limit himself that way. And I think he should. Well, I think it's, it's not just that. So like with Cassie, right maybe it's more of a stretch that he would have like reach out about feelings but with jake at least if marco was like his non-happy self i think he would just call him out on mm. it being an asshole more just be like that's probably like true. you're being too reckless Stop you're making decisions jerk. that don't yeah. make sense you are being needlessly a jerk to cassie like i understand that you mm-hmm. lost your family i've lost my family too and i've dealt with it better than you have right like that's so what marco point. would say except that he feels guilty right because now also, he has his family back yeah Jake's being a jerk to Cassie, but like not undeservedly. But other than that, the but point Marco stands. Doesn't but Marco know. doesn't know that. Because like Good. we were yes. talking about like right. Marco hasn't put the pieces together that Cassie, like if Marco knows that Cassie let the box go, then maybe, I mean, which he doesn't, but like maybe that would justify Jake's behavior to Cassie. He probably just assumes they're fighting about something, but it's also a really reasonable assumption that like Jake is really upset about stuff and he's sort of taking it out on Cassie. Yeah. And like that's the stuff that like he could call him on and is not. Because it is very reasonable to assume, oh, Cassie probably tried to get him to talk about his feelings and maybe Marco Marco's assumption from that being a bright, clear line type of person is like, well, if I try to talk to Jake about his feelings, he'll probably start mm-hmm. freezing me out too. Oi. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty. That was a real shutdown. The uh, someone needs to go to the governor. Cassie says, "I'll go." And like almost before she stops talking, Jake's like, "No." Super fair. Oh, okay. I have my defense of Cassie. Despite the bad thing she did in the last book, she's also the reason why Jake is still the leader, and the Animorphs <laughs> are able to continue it all because she calls that meeting at the camp where yeah, they but rally around. Jake, Jake still again. be the leader if he's going to be this version of Jake. That's a good question. That's a great point. But I'm just saying we we can give her credit for for keeping the team together maybe yeah. ava should be the leader at this point but i mean the jake's leadership in this book like if you leave his treatment of cassie aside i mean he does he does a good job like marco and tobias and axe are a good team to send after the governor they did need to take some immediate action nicole you're rolling your eyes did you have thoughts about their I ability mean, to be to fair maybe finesse? he was delegating but he could have mentioned like i don't know do a Google search just to get yourself started. <laughs> um, maybe he assumed they would. I, I'm I not going to blame fair, Jake but. for that. And I also, I don't know. I still think that Axe knew everything. It was like these fools. I'm going to troll them. I like that. Yeah. I mean, we don't see what Jake, how Jake's leadership kind of does in the battle that he's in. You're right. Cause we don't see him much in this book. Yeah. We just know that it's, really brutal and I wonder to what extent his recklessness and lack of trusting Cassie like would have affected what how That's that dynamic went. That's a question because Marco's a really valuable person to have in battles like that because he does and also actually Tobias and Axe are more likely to see a danger and like try to rein people in. Rachel is not going to be reining anyone in. Jake can't rein people in right now because he's having trouble reining himself in and if Jake isn't listening to Cassie like Cassie's the one on the team who might object to stuff that seems dangerous she's much less likely to do it than marco is but like and if she's not being listened to then that's a really dysfunctional i think it helps that toby's there but maybe doesn't totally resolve that Mm, yeah and probably we haven't really seen the auxiliaries Mm -hmm. in much of fight so Hmm. and it's kind of a bummer that we don't see that in this book actually it's like we got all these new animorphs last book they are mentioned in this book, but we don't. Yeah, I would see think we're probably not going to, just because you can't expand the scope of the people we're yeah. supposed to care about at this point in the series. I mean, I care about them deeply, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do, I do care. About I mean, them, like as but... individuals, though, there's just not much time to yeah. define personalities or anything. Yeah, right. there I, are too many of them. I, I felt like the bit in the very first chapter where they're like, "Okay, we need to acknowledge that there are more animorphs, but they're not going to show up in the book." Right. Where Marco is like, what do you think the odds are that these people are the auxiliary animorphs that were introduced in the last book? And Tobias is like, no. <laughs> Obviously not. It's definitely not them. Yeah, no, you're right, Nicole. It's it's like too much to get to know 17 new animorphs. Okay, but they did that in, in this book too. I just really want the story of Collins. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm, I I'm absolutely, absolutely sure that he will never come back, right? <laughs> I, I, I bet the governor will be featured in some extent, but like they're not going to become strong like tertiary characters. There's just not enough time for us to care uh-huh. about them. But I love them both so much. Yeah. Governor and Collins, they're the best. Yeah, and they're so such Collins, a dynamic duo. Collins, like, is the is the uninfested bodyguard at this, like, hotel gala event. And he, like, throws himself in front of the governor and, like, takes a dracon beam to the shoulder to protect her. Oh, and they're, they're, they're fleeing. And the governor's like, but Collins! And Marco, like, grabs him as a gorilla and, like, wraps him up in a tablecloth in the ballroom and is like, don't even think about being a hero. <laughs> and then a few hours later they end up back at the governor's mansion and they find Collins in the bathtub with a shower curtain wrapped around his bleeding shoulder just waiting for the governor to come back so he can protect her 
He's, I don't know how he got there, but I love him. I also, loved him even before that. And then I was like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. I know, happened. he's so good. And the first, one of the first times you know that he's uninfested while his fellow bodyguard is infested is their reactions to like what's happening as Axe demorphs and like this mm-hmm. kid goes from being a cockroach to being a boy or whatever he is. And he's like completely freaked out, but he's also very, like he's carefully obeying the governor's orders. And then at one point she's like, okay, watch the other bodyguard. Like, don't let him shoot anybody. And he's like, this I can do. I, I am good at that. Like, thank you for giving me an instruction that I understand. I'm on it. Can you identify with this a little gray? So cute. I, yeah. This is I one of him. the secondary tragedies of them no longer having the morphing cube because I would have loved, loved to read a version of this book where the governor and Collins get morph capable. It could have been so fun. Yeah. Yeah, it would have been like 49. Like, how do we get out of this? Yeah. Well, we'll make every, we'll let everybody morph. morph. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's yeah. got it now. I really wanted the governor to be able to morph just so much. Like, mm-hmm. she's yeah. so cool. I know we've talked about this before, but her reaction to the morphs in particular, like at one point, Marco morphs into, I think, dolphin. And he goes, how do you feel about marine mammals? And she says, well, I wouldn't marry one. And then calmly hops on the dolphin's back and is carried away. It's like, <laughs> Oh, what a bizarre Which reaction. I was so but sad that at the end when the little... news clips were playing, there wasn't one of the governor like triumphantly riding the dolphin mm. down the river because that was clearly the best of them. Great point. And then later when Marco finally explains like everything and she's like, oh, thank goodness. Aliens are invading. I thought it was something much worse. Aliens we can fight. And I was like, what did you I... think was happening? Yeah. But also I was a great attitude. Keep it up. An asshole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if she prefers an alien invasion to her husband being an asshole, like, that's a little bit against her. Like, you know, I, I, I think it's better for the I, world if your husband's just a jerk. I did like how quick she was to dismiss him. Because the, mm. the infested husband, like, take my hand, I'll save you. And she knocks him out with a folding chair and says, save me, huh? <laughs> I loved, like, their interactions were so great. Like, he kept stepping on her toes while they were dancing. And eventually she just kicks him in the shin hilarious and then like and then that whole moment where you know she knows something's up because of how he's behaving and the thing that triggers her to like knock him out is i'll save you and she's like i don't need you to save me thank you no thank you i was gonna do it (laughs) love i will say that so the moment where she says aliens we can fight i think is like it's my absolute favorite like humans the humanity is is up to the task mm-hmm. moment because I feel like there's something and I feel like this is even like a pretty common trope in like certain kinds of sci-fi movies or whatever but it's it's sort of like the pragmatic like government person right who's just like you know what this is a concrete problem that I can mm-hmm. solve right I'm not really about my feelings like maybe my personal life isn't the best but I have this <laughs> duty to protect like the state or the country and I'm going to fulfill that. And you know what? Aliens are here. So I'm just going to do the best that I can and drink my disgusting coffee and like go forward and help carry the day. And I, yeah. I feel like, I don't know if it's like a particularly like American trope or, mm. or what it is, but there's something about this kind of like pragmatic, no nonsense government hero who's just like, you know what? I'm going to solve the problems no matter how weird they are. And I'm not going to ask stupid questions. You can mm-hmm. cut this, but I think we might be particularly susceptible to that beautiful fantasy of competent 
government leadership right now. Oh man, you know, I don't know why you would ever say that. Definitely the, not the whole one advice. of the th- reasons I think that the I was like so um, confused by the ending was the idea of the governor calling in the National Guard and U.S. troops for a good Ugh. reason, right? Like this mm. weekend in particular, I was like, please don't. Please don't do that. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want you to bring, I do not want military force to be employed in this situation. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm bringing my own baggage this weekend. So we'll just ignore that and move on. I actually, no, but I think you're totally right. Because that's the, the white supremacist movement is just as bad as an alien invasion, right? Mm-hmm. So I think the fantasy for me is like, I would just want people to be like, yeah, this is an existential threat to like peace and the greater good. And I will work on how to solve these problems. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not the world we live in. It yeah. was a very, a very 90s thing. Like at one point, the police are like the, the limo is is fleeing the controllers. And there there's a police officer on the bridge or whatever, like, and like starts giving instructions to like stand down and not shoot the governor. And Marco's like, Oh, thank goodness, a good uninfested police officer. And I was like, this is such a 90s attitude towards police. Like, Oh, we're safe because this police officer isn't an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky us. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I will say, going back to the governor and her terrible coffee, I just felt very vindicated as someone who doesn't like the taste of coffee and has never been a coffee drinker. Finally, Marco's like, you know, he's like, you know, losing it a little bit. He's like, I was pacing, you know, even fixed myself a cup of coffee. Heavy on the sugar and non-dairy creamer. Ugh, it tasted like motor oil. Creamy, sweet motor oil. I shuddered and set the cup on the windowsill and my note was just like, yep, yeah. This is such a teen boy thing to do. It's yeah. like, yeah, I'm in, I'm like in a big adult room where like adult decisions get made and I met a government person and like, oh, she's drinking a lot of coffee. I'm going to go pour this coffee and he like looks at it and he's like, I don't want this. I need like, how can I make this decision better? And he's like, how about creamer? Okay. How about sugar? Like this no. looks like, this looks good enough. Right. And he's like, I'm going to yeah. drink it all. Oh I God. I do not think oh, that this uh, maligning of the governor's coffee is, is warranted because I think this is almost certainly a Marco problem, not a quality of the coffee problem. <laughs> how dare you? Coffee is just a Disagree. coffee problem. Okay. But coffee I also, is its like, own problem. Yeah. I was going to say, I also remember like in, you know, high school when I first started drinking coffee, just like, you know, being at the coffee bar at church, like pouring in the powdered creamer and the sugar and being like, that's probably, I'm a grown up and like just, ch- you know, drinking the, t- I mean, it, and it no, was bad coffee, it but like. that much work to like a thing. Is it, is it really a Well, now thing? it, now, see, the thing is, yeah, it's an acquired taste. So now, the, yeah, exactly. And also now my, I, uh, presence better. on your podcast today is brought to you by this mug of coffee. So I'm going to say, actually, it's worth the effort. <laughs> Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess I, I chugged mine before coffee. we got here. <laughs> I appreciate coffee for its its role in my friend's lives. Thank you. We appreciate your understanding. <laughs> I do think it's really interesting that like aliens is an existential threat given where we are today versus where we were 20 years ago, right? Because this is like like in a few months, terrorism is going to be the thing that mm. everyone is afraid of that, you know, yep. starts tearing the world apart. And things are like much worse now in terms of internal divisiveness. And like, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about how the animal just completely has a blind spot, right? Like, there's all the sort of like preparedness thinking of like, oh, yeah, humans aren't ready for like, uh, how bad things could go at any minute. But it's like, you know, we don't need aliens. We have enough to worry about. Hmm. Does the series wrap up before 9-11? 
Like, were the books all out by then? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, like, the mm. summer of 2001. Like That's probably for the best, yeah. because it might have so made wrapping it up a little bit more yeah, challenging. Yeah, it would have changed things. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of just teenage boy things, <laughs> I would like us to briefly speculate. Um, Marco is so happy that he would like to run up and down the valley, ah, yes. arms spread wide, belting out show tunes. And I would like us to briefly speculate ah. which show tunes... The Marco. hills are alive, okay, obviously. So last but go night, ahead, Jenny. <laughs> obviously, yes. yes. Thank you, yes. But yeah. last night, Ted was like, Marco says he wants to sing show tunes. Which ones? And I was like, I already have that question in my notes. And neither of us had to ask it, because Gray asked it. <laughs> we, we are on the same page. <laughs> which show tunes do we think, you guys? I mean, Sound of Music is, is you know, sort of an obvious one. Yeah, I mean, I, hills are alive, but Ted, what were you going to say? Happiness from oh. You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Okay. I was going to suggest something from Little Shop of Horrors. Just the <laughs> aliens thing. Somewhere that's green. But he doesn't have to yeah. be aspirational anymore. He's got his somewhere that's green, right? It's that's true. true. But what if he's also singing Ooh. some Disney? Ooh, like, okay. I mean, I guess I guess a lot of the great Disney songs mm-hmm. are more the I want songs, and he already um, has what he wants. Um, but maybe the- not part of your world, but I love the image. Uh, Colors of the Wind. Oh, that's good. Oh, there that's you good. go. <laughs> He's being inspired by the beauty of. I think nature. one of the hork bajir leaps with him. him in the middle of that song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we already know that. Okay, we don't know that Marco's a bad singer, but we know that people don't like it when he sings. So either okay. they're just killjoys. No, or... headcanon is that he only sings show tunes, and people are prejudiced <laughs> against musical theater. Yeah, I like it. it's not the quality of his voice. You guys, I think it's too early for Defying Gravity. That's really sad. Because mm. I feel like that would be it's a more really of a fun device. One for him. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Tobias song. Very good point. Something has uh... changed with him. <laughs> You guys, you guys, he's definitely singing Oklahoma. He's doing like, oh, what a beautiful oh morning. The wind comes sweeping down the plains. <laughs> yeah, totally he's probably right. singing Surrey with a fringe on top. Like, that is definitely this boy's <laughs> oh jam. The farmer right. and the Andalite should be friends. <laughs> the Marco and the Andalite should should be friends, in quotes. <laughs> God, that's funny. The group mind has decided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's way too early for Crazy yes. Ex-Girlfriend, but he would love oh. that show. I think that show would open his eyes to uh, to some um, some things he might be a little ignorant that, about. Speaking of, um, he's super into being a beautiful duck. Did you guys pick up on oh, this? Yeah, he's, he's definitely preening, um, yeah. Yeah, he says, in the duck world, boys get to be the pretty ones. <laughs> I tilted my shimmering green head. He loves it. He absolutely loves being a beautiful duck. So the other thing, this is so not show tunes related, but it is under what I would put under the category of teenage boy related, which I think is how Gray introduced this, is that later Marco morphs into an adult human woman and like oh, changes yeah. clothes and has now seen the governor naked. Not one joke. So here's Whoa. my thing though, and I don't know if any of you had this, but um Despite the fact that I understood that he was now in the governor's body and speaking with the governor's voice, every time he talked while in that morph, I was imagining Marco the teenage boy doing middle-aged woman voice. So it was no longer, it became like a Monty Python kind of woman. Like, oh, it's lovely to see the young men and women of the... It, so I could not read any of those lines in any sort of serious fashion. Yeah, the words he chose were very much like, this is how, like, a woman speaks, right? 
boy, unhand me. <laughs> Young man. <laughs> I, I had some pretty strong objections to that scene, though. Like, you've already told the governor what's up. You have such a thing about, like, not morphing people without their permission. Ask. I understand that sometimes you have to, but you did not have to. In this Ask case. her. It, right? She would have said yes. Walk out of the bathroom as her. Respect her, her agency. Yeah. Yeah. The other so, it, tiny issue I think I have with that is that he is somehow unable to communicate with Tobias and Axe, even though he is in morph, and therefore he can thought speak. Yeah, that's true. But he doesn't. He just goes, oh, like, he tries to talk really through true. a oh, gag, yeah. and then okay. I was like, you could thought they speak. Were just what is this? To set up Andalite sarcasm, which was over the top. But if he'd been thought speaking at them, they couldn't have had that kind of dumb joke. True. <laughs> I'm gonna read that passage because it's a big moment for Marco and Axe. I thumped my feet on the floor. <laughs> Tobias turned. Did you say something, Marco? <laughs> Axe looked at me, tilted his head. I believe Marco is trying to tell us that while he is extremely happy to see us, he enjoys being trussed up, and could we please not remove the filthy satchel from his mouth, as he finds it quite tasty. Oh good, Axe picks now to finally get human sarcasm. So I think Axe obviously had gotten sarcasm before this, but now Marco has finally caught up to him and has realized... Right, it's the end. Axe completed his becoming funny arc books and books ago, but here Marco realizes it, which is the payoff we've been waiting for. I really also liked Marco's description of Axe at the duck pond. Axe vaulted into the pond in a beautiful, perfect arc, his andalite form clearly outlined in the morning sun. And then, wonderfully, a small child says, Daddy, Daddy, look, it's a unicorn! Can can we... This may be off topic, but can we talk for a minute about this plan of how they're going to get ducks? Because I'm very angry about it. <laughs> so please go on. on. They know not only that the bad guys have the morphing cube, but they know that many of them actually now are morph capable and have morphs because they encountered them at the train. Mm-hmm. Now, where mm-hmm. might the bad guys go to get animal morphs? I would propose maybe the gardens where the an- where the animorphs have gotten all of theirs. And also, so that, that may mean there's a bad guy presence at the zoo. What and that bad guys might be looking out for the animorphs who might use the zoo for the same reason. And the animal they want to acquire is not something exotic. They want to acquire a duck and instead of going to a local pond like behind a baseball field somewhere with a bag of bread they go to the gardens without (laughs) checking when the gardens open for random ass public to come in and see them thereby just consciously exposing themselves to both controllers and school children it is so dumb this is an animal you can find elsewhere that's a good point such a good point I loved that they flagged the thing where it's like, why haven't we had ducks this whole time? They're so much better for traveling in groups, traveling long distances. Like ducks are much better. Like they're less cool than birds of prey, but they're much more useful. Such a good point. I I love that moment. I also love the moment when they get to the governor's mansion and they're like, okay, what do we morph? And they're like, "Um, well, we've got this one. We've got this one. They're like, no, none of this is good. Like we don't have any good ideas. And they're just like kind of like rattling off all of their different options. It's like such good like late in the series uh-huh. like commentary right yeah. they've got all the morris none of them are useful why haven't they been ducks nicole you're absolutely right about how foolish the acquiring ducks plan is i love that there was such a low stakes moment in this like this late in the series like we need to acquire ducks and we are bad at it it's like <laughs> it's i love seeing the animal struggle to do like really really simple things and it, uh, it gets way out of control so quickly the ducks are all assholes, you know. 
At one point, Axe is fighting a cougar while holding a duck. It's, it's, it's amazing. So it's so funny. Axe is not just fighting a cougar. All of a sudden, Axe and the cougar are in a tram that leads from the zoo to the amusement park. So somehow, their battle has been mobile to the point that they board a tram together while fighting. Like, it doesn't make any sense, except that they wanted to have these two wrapped around each other fall out of the tram for, I guess, comedic effect. Have you guys been to the no. San Diego Zoo? No. So um, they, I, I believe the San Diego Zoo is loosely kind of like the gardens. It doesn't have an amusement park, but like the zoo part of it. And they have this Skyway tram that is like, it's super cool. And it goes, you can like look down and look into all of the different animal cages and stuff. And, but it's really high up, like really high up. And I'm just imagining this like poor cougar. I mean, it's a controller, but like the poor cougar. And then it lands in the big cat enclosure and Ooh. gets into a fight with tigers. And then even <laughs> if it morphs out and turns back into a person, it, it is still in the pit with the tigers. Like that person is not having a good day. So I want to talk the other like weird ethical line that gets crossed in this book and unremarked upon is a lot more comfortable just straight up murdering people. Mm-hmm. Right. So so there's this weird thing that happens that is actually very like David logic where like they mention the bird controllers in the beginning. Marco does briefly think like, yeah, there's a bird there. There's a yerk there. And there's a terrified human inside, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you imagine how bad it would be not only to be infested, but then to like be transformed into an animal and put into these weird, dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. And Marco does the fake out maneuver where he causes a bird controller to break its neck. Right? Like, just because it's a bird doesn't mean there's not an innocent person in there, right? Marco doesn't think about it. But... Like, we don't, even really, we don't even really have to dwell on that because when they're rescuing the governor, Tobias throws Marco a Dracon beam and he's like, there is a human piloting a helicopter and that person is evil and I will blow up the helicopter and straight up murder that person and not mm-hmm. even, like, flinch. And I was like, whoa, like, I totally buy that you have to be here now, but the fact that the book doesn't call it out and that Marco isn't like, yeah, now I'm just, like, shooting people with lasers instead of, like, yeah. knocking them out and giving them concussions or cutting off all their fingers, yeah. which is usually <laughs> (laughs) what they do (laughs) yeah and there's not necessarily a moral difference here but it still feels different to me when they are fighting somebody in morph and that bad guy dies versus i am going to take this weapon and aim it at you as you are retreating and pull the trigger and explode you it's yeah it's a significant escalation from what they're at least most of the time yeah also like they almost never use dracon beam like mm-hmm. i guess cassie uses it in 44 to like blow up a bug fighter with taxons in it like i'm sure there are other specific times they've used them but like they they could easily get hold of some and keep them i mean i mm-hmm. guess it would be like where would you keep it but they you have a whole valley them. now with houses and shit i know they could easily keep them now but i feel like the thing where they're just like willing to kill controllers and morph is an extension of i don't know i think there are two ways you could look at it you could look at it at the animorphs feeling like kind of queasy about killing other humans even though they recognize it's not morally different than killing Harkvajir who they kill all the time and like this lets them sort of bypass that queasiness and they have to kill them anyway or you could look at it as like the books don't want to show them killing humans although I mean they do shoot the one in the helicopter but the books are more willing to show them like leading a bird to its death than a human. And that's like sort of authorial or editorial cowardice, like sort of the middle grade thing. It Mm. shows that they've fallen to David's level. Mm. David says I can kill Tobias because he's just a bird. Now they're not doing anything better. Okay. But this ghost (laughs) writer is basically a David. 
they I mean they're in a battle. It's not murder. I don't know. The helicopter was literally flying. The helicopter away. is different. I was thinking of the, the breaking the bird's neck. Yeah, I mean the helicopter's flying away. Does it seem yeah. I guess he didn't have to shoot it. Yeah. When you can kill Yerks and the helicopter could, you know, circle right back around. I'm not saying that I think it was the wrong decision. I'm saying yeah. I think it's morally distinguishable from when you are actively mm-hmm, battling mm-hmm, somebody. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, yeah. What did you guys think of the... So we love the governor. What did you think of the read that she has the brain of a combat general? <laughs> I don't know what that means. I, I forget when that uh, Yeah, I don't up. remember the exact context, but I don't think it's unfair. Like, she's able to process new and disturbing information very quickly and respond in a reasonably rational manner. I think those would be good qualities in a combat right. so I think what jumped out about it to me is, like, it's a weird... It's weird that that's the, like... The combat general's mind is the thing on the pedestal that Marco is comparing her to. Like, it's clear that she's competent, but she's like, oh, wow, she's as competent... As a combat general, as Jake, it's like a, it's like an interesting. Well, right, like as Jake <laughs> would have been a like a more apt comparison. Almost. Well, but Jake like, is a combat mm, general, yeah. and I, I think that's very right, consistent with right. Margot's character mm. because I think that's kind of the role that he sees himself in. Um, not necessarily the person in charge, but the the combat strategy and the planning mm-hmm. and responding to those situations. I think it makes sense that that would be to him kind of the apex of what a good brain mm-hmm. can be. It was sort of part of this contrasting her brain with her body situation, which like, I mean, it's not like it rings false. It like seems like what Marco would probably think, but it, I don't know. It was, and I liked, I liked that she wasn't like, you know, beautiful and glamorous, but was still awesome. And we have like, and it was cool that like there was this comparison with Rachel where it's like, yeah, she and Rachel are basically the same. And that wasn't based on looks at all. That's great because Rachel's looks do get harped on so much. And like mm-hmm. the Rachel Taylor comparison was so much about looks. But this whole thing where he's like, she's super frumpy. Oh, but her eyes are alert is like, oh, she's not like most mm-hmm. middle-aged women. Yeah. yeah, I hear that. I will say that I think the frumpiness being identified up front was helpful, if only because in that weird moment when he's like, I flashed on her in high school, Rachel. I was able to be like, no, this isn't somehow future Rachel because Rachel at no point in her existence will be frumpy. So I was able to very concretely bring myself back down to earth on that weird moment. That's so weird, you guys. I did not read her he as He uses the word twice all. when you first they meet use her. the word Yeah, everything frumpy. about her is frumpy yeah. Because like, he also frumpy, uses the lumpy, word gray, gray like five times, which was I, great because yeah. gray, but also that because the governor of California at that time, his first name was gray. Oh, it was gray, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that, he totally does. Everything about her was frumpy, lumpy, and gray. She was short and plump. Everything but her eyes. Gray, yes, but a quick, intelligent gray, Which, just like me. Um, yeah. When, when she was established as frumpy, and then they described wingtips, the, the man that they had assumed was the governor, and he's, like, chiseled, and he has, like, TV personality yeah, looks and stuff. Yeah, there's no way he was well, going to be the governor. Fair. But <laughs> there's no I, way that a guy like that, as a politician, like, doesn't pick a trophy. Oh, like, no, that that's an interesting point. But I, thought, oh, I thought you were when, gonna, when, then thought... The, when then Marco made the leap of, okay, the lady is the governor. I've accepted that fact. He refers to wingtips as her husband. And the governor then says something like, don't be ridiculous. And I thought she was going to be like, I'm not married to that guy. But in fact, it is her husband, even <laughs> though they've been described as like polar opposites in terms of the way they just present, at least visually. Uh, but, yeah. We don't know what he's like normally, personality-wise. I was hoping it was just her, like, her date, or or, like even like one of her aides, or her press secretary, or Mm, something. Yeah. Another time when we get a little bit of that kind of, um, I don't know, not feminism exactly, but the sort of dynamic of like a strong woman in charge is when she's calling the commanders, 
And the first one she calls is the commander of the Army National Guard. And he's obviously fighting with her about her orders to stand down. And he's like not, he's he's not taking her seriously. And, and Axe goes, oh, he must be a controller. And she goes, maybe, maybe not. He's a cantankerous old coot who can't stand taking orders from a woman. He doesn't need an alien wrapped around his brain to make him hard to get along Excellent. with. Excellent. Yeah. Like, love that. Okay, so I really liked your headcanon about Axe admiring oh the gosh. governor, but is he not projecting his Andalite misogyny onto, like, human leaders? Because there was this whole thing about, like, women shouldn't be in the military That's with Estrid. And yeah. if he sees the governor as a commander-in-chief, it's interesting that That's he doesn't comment on it. That is a little inconsistent. Maybe he's learned? I don't know. It was just, it was such a wonderful moment where, okay, so they're in the limo. And- they're fleeing. Axe struggled to gain a foothold on the floor. He gazed at the governor. His antelite eyes radiated warmth and joy. Yes, joy. We were doing 90 in heavy traffic with clumsy Herkbajir hands at the wheel, and Axe looked like he'd just found the secret to inner peace. Madam Governor, he bowed low, stretched his front leg out in front of him. His head nearly touched the floor, which, side note, that sounds like an amazing <laughs> thing to watch an antelite do. I am Axe Eskarath Estil, and I am honored to be in the presence of a great leader. <laughs> it's just, it's so precious. And- I love it. She loves him when he she belly flops so into much. the river. She's like, can Aximili swim? She's like very, very concerned. <laughs> very concerned. And, well, and, and Marco's reaction, like, yeah, he can, which I love that he... And then, that. yeah, and she morphs into shark and she's like, oh, good, I guess. In the, <laughs> in the moment after he's like a great leader, she's kind of confused. But then like Tobias is driving and he's like doing these crazy moves and the air, it's like the limo is airborne and they're crashing into stuff. She is desperately gripping the side of the car and then she swallows a scream, manages to wrench her hand free and shakes Axe's hand. I love her. Amazing. She's so great. She is so great. Yeah, she swallows a scream. Yep, he shook it, then bowed low again. I will guard your life with my own. Very reassuring, she said. The limo hurtled a median strip. The governor gripped the armrest. I mean that sincerely, accidentally. As do I, governor. Ah, besties for life. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I did want to mention an axe thing. At one point, he shrugs. And as Marco says, one of the many human gestures he picked up. He's he's really learning some human stuff. Marco thinks Axe would want to be, in after the war, just be in human morph and Cinnabon forever. Okay, yeah. but how much of that is just wishful thinking because he wants Axe to stay on Earth forever and eat Cinnabons? Ugh, my heart. I know, I know. It's great. Maybe he'll found a Cinnabon franchise on the Andalite homeworld. <laughs> that actually seems like a Perfect. good ending for Axe. Axe also <laughs> snorted in this book. Like, in the way that a human would snort in response to something funny. So I don't know if that's something it had been established hmm. previously that he did. Can you snort well, without a nose? He does have a nose, right? He has, like, the slits, right? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, like, gestures, sounds, and stuff, like, mood cues that, like, you get really used mm-hmm. to using as a writer. And then when suddenly one of your characters can't do it, you're like, but how do I express <laughs> this thing? I only had one way. So I really have a lot of sympathy for the writer making Axe snort, even if that's not an Andalite thing. Axe wrinkled his nostrils. It would have been great though if this snort was actually part of his thought speak response, but it was not like included in the brackets. So I assume it was an actual yeah, audible yeah. snort. Um, I thought that there was an inconsistency because at one point they're jumping onto a yacht and they grab the mast with the sails. And I was like, I didn't think that yachts had sails. I thought that was sailboats. And then I had to like learn about the difference between a yacht and a sailboat. And it turns out the answer is they can and also that I don't care. (laughs) It's just very fancy. Yeah. 
Oh, you guys, we've barely even touched on the topic of oh finesse, my which is an excellent running joke in this book. Why would you think Marco could finesse no, anything? No, it's, it's so good. It's so good. So this, this was the book that I was thinking of way back in 15 when I was like, oh, it's Axe, Tobias, and Marco getting together. This is a thing, right? Like, they yeah. are, I always thought of them as a special ops team, but they're the finesse team. I, I mean, so they're much. the three stooges. Let's not give them too much credit. There's a lot of slapstick moments in this, which yeah, I loved. Also, wait, also, it's always in Marco books because it's in 15 mm. and then it's in 30 when they're going after huh. Ava in the like high rise building. Oh, right. Like that's also yeah, right. a good ex Marco Tobias. Fit. And I like that they're self aware about the fact that finesse is not exactly what they have because like they're sitting around outside the governor's mansion being like, oh shoot, we have no plan. We don't know the governor's name or what he looks like or how to get inside his house and find him. And then they see a limo pull up and they realize that the governor must be going somewhere. And Tobias says, I bet that somebody with finesse would go with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. I love uh, it. God, it's funny. They also, they're finessing around trying to get directions, basically. They're referring to it as finesse when they're just wandering around a rest stop, like asking people, do you know where the governor's mansion is? And I love that this biker named yep. Chopper is like, oh yeah, I did a drywall job there. I'll direct you. And I absolutely thought this biker was bullshitting them and they were going to follow his directions and go nowhere. But it turns out Chopper was on the up and up and did in fact know where the governor's oh, mansion was. I didn't realize because like at that point we didn't know the governor, but Chopper's like, yeah, that's the job that really like got me back on my feet. The governor's really cool. And I was like, and now thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, the governor is really cool. And I love the idea that she has some sort of work initiative where she tries to hire people who like, I don't know, are down in their luck or have been in trouble with the law or like And like apparently like interacts yeah. with them directly while they're doing their drywall job. Like isn't super aloof right. as her people deal with that. She's my favorite person. This, this is, is great. Another part of when they are searching for the governor, there were two things, one that I loved and one that I hated. Um, Marco is saying, oh gosh, we don't know anything about the governor. Maybe I should have done an internet search. Duh. But then he says very explicitly and like in great detail, or I should have picked up a map of the state because then on the inside flap, there would have been a picture of the governor with his name. And he even says like where on the inside flap it would have appeared. And it's so specific that it's very yeah. obvious that this is something that he's seen recently, <laughs> at which point he would have at least registered the governor's gender. <laughs> It's yeah, really or weird. I think it's like like one of those '90s things where you know you had the like very specific maps that people used. Like, there's one map that people used in I think it is actually Southern California, where it's like a map that has a grid, and then you follow the grid to the next corner. But it, they're like geographically specific. Like my family, the map that we think of when we're thinking of the interstate is the map on the inside door of the gas station in Cherry Valley, Wisconsin, <laughs> because that is the turnoff that my mom always missed when we were going back and forth between the farm in Wisconsin and the house in Chicago. And she always missed the turn and she went down 20B instead of 20A. And then we would pull off in this gas station. We'd say hi to the guy at the gas station in Cherry Valley. We'd look at the map and we'd say, see, mom, you got off the wrong exit. And we'd go back to the highway. Like every Every time we always stopped at this gas station if my mom was driving. And I just feel like there are those moments in the 90s, especially when you were like, this is what a map is like. And in, in apparently in California, it is the folding map you get at the gas station that has the picture of the governor on the inside flap and has details about the governor or a message from the governor or something, question mark. Like, what do you do with the old ones when you get a new governor? I don't know. Questions. <laughs> 
You guys, I just realized if this were happening now, the Anwars would be so like hamstrung all the time by expecting to have their phones with them and being able to look yep. anything up, but they can't bring their phones with them when they're in morph. And so they like are used to be able, being able to have maps at their fingertips, but That's suddenly wonderful. they don't have them. This is why they introduced Axe, right, as a timekeeping mm-hmm. device because they had briefly Tobias <laughs> carrying a watch, oh which gosh. is like, yeah. So, anyway, if the books were written today, Axe would just have like his power would not be timekeeping, it would be just like data uplink, yeah. right? It would just be like, yes. Oh, Axe, like, point. can you Google this? And he'll be like, dur, 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 yes. <laughs> well, and, and they have Tobias for directions. When Chopper's mm. giving them directions, he tells them to go east, and Marco's like, Yeah, sure, I'll just yeah. have Tobias tell us which direction is east because I don't know. I did. I I loved the thinness of Jake's logic when he's like, all right, these are the three people who go to the governor. Marco, because he can deal with a politician. Okay, sure, maybe. Although normally Cassie would be the pick for like dealing with a human. (laughs) Humans, Uh, Tobias, because he knows how to find the capital. Because he flies there a lot. I don't know. He just spends a lot of time in the air, so he knows where stuff is. And Axe, because he'll best be able to recognize a controller. Yeah, that is what? so not a Axe doesn't have any more, like, in book In book six. six. Wait, no, that yeah, is Yeah, but that was, like, that was so many books ago. Like, they were all so inexperienced. And, like, he got lucky with, like you're having a reaction to an andalite i guess it actually does it is plausible that like a, a controller seeing an andalite would have a reaction that would be also it helped it helped it when they all demorphed yeah. they could tell who was a controller yeah. and not by their reactions okay right. that's true that's true he didn't really spell that out but that that does make a lot of sense all right it was only it was flimsy it was flimsy to, reasoning, yeah. but yeah but it's also good to have axe along when you're trying to convince people because mm-hmm. alien that's true although mm-hmm. i mean Tobias he's a huge fan of the governor like that's jake true. maybe didn't know that's it true but had Point. to go. If they'd said, yeah, it would have it would have broken his heart. I would have loved the scene where like Jake tries to keep Axe, and Axe is like, "Excuse me, Prince, I cannot do this. If we are to die today, I must first meet my Earth hero, the Governor. The Governor, the who I will governor. not refer to by a pronoun, so as not to spoil the surprise. His or her policies are so delightful to read." I was briefly annoyed that, like, wow, they haven't given the governor a name. And I was like, oh, that's because they, like, don't want to tie it to a specific, like, state necessarily. The thing that I loved about (laughs) the final stages of them searching for the governor is that before they go to the mansion, they fly past, I guess, the, like, Capitol building, the state Capitol building, and it's got a dome. Um, And Axe Uh says, oh, it has a dome. What a lovely place to live. And rather than remind the reader that, oh, Axe spent a lot of time on a dome ship and it's this very meaningful thing in his culture, Mark was just like, yeah, Axe is into buildings with domes. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a good point. (laughs) And it's great, because I mean, most of the readers at this point probably remember Um, why that is. So it's just a wonderful way to know. I didn't remember dome ship. I was thinking about it like a scoop. But you're right. It's very cultural reasons that that he would love this thing. And Mark was just like, yeah, I don't know. he likes that kind of architecture. He has a thing for domed roofs. (laughs) So funny. A domed building? Axe's thought speak was filled with awe. (laughs) Which, again, makes a lot more sense if he's already a huge fan of the governor. Because otherwise he'd just be like, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the other way around where he's like, whoa, this is a really cool dome building. Who lives there? And he's like, the governor works in a dome? Interesting. And that's where where his love for the governor is born. New fic request. 
Axe learning about the governor. Yes. And falling in love. Please. It could just be a spinoff, maybe. Like, after the immediate crisis has passed, Axe goes to work for her. Axe and the governor go on, like, Axe adventures and Collins and Axe the governor. Axe is a Cinnabon franchise on the first Axe floor of the Capitol building, the where he gets to interact with them every yes. day and they have crazy adventures. I would so watch the TV show about Axe, Collins, and the governor. That sounds amazing. I love it. Oh, I do want to call out... So, like, this book has so many good... Like, all the capering stuff is, is amazing, Jenny, you compared it to Fast and Furious mm, uh, when yes. you were reading it. Like uh, <laughs> the limo chase scene. One moment that I just loved in particular was like they're at in the governor's mansion on a hill and they can see the interstate and they're like convoy of military vehicles coming. Bad. Those are bad guys. And then lone police car racing down from the <laughs> other direction. And they're like, that must be McDonald. You know, I hope he gets here first. Keep the gate open for McDonald. Let him in. No questions asked. You know, like he and he skids around and like shoots the like gravel up against the military convoy and he makes it in the door just in time. It's just like very like needlessly cinematic. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I loved it though. This is completely untied to anything. Um, but I really love the moment when they're in the gardens scoping out ducks and they also see flamingos and Tobias goes, Oh, Hey, we could morph oh, lawn yeah. ornaments. <laughs> the other thing I loved about that scene when they're in the garden looking for ducks is that for a large percentage of it, Marco has a <laughs> frog on his head. Yes. <laughs> I forgot. Which was so good. Why? And also how? And also why? why? <laughs> it was just not so ridiculous that like he, the bullfrog jumps on his head and then just sits there for the rest of the escapade. Is it better if that bullfrog is a morph-capable controller attacking oh Marco yes. as a frog? Yes. And the only thing he can do is pee on his head, which how could you tell it's a frog? Like, uh, yes. 100%. Headcanon accepted. So I had oh, a couple funny. of 90s moments in addition to the, you know, uninfested police officer that Marco was so excited about. Of course, there was Tank Commando, which is apparently not real. So, you know, uh, there was Nicole. I'm going to guess that this was your 90s moment. Do you no, wanna, no, do, do yours, yours. And I want to see Oh, okay. The mic was attached to a thick wire that curved down from the side of the helmet like a telephone headset. Tobias adjusted it in front of his mouth. I feel like Britney Spears, he said. Unfortunately for me, you don't look like her. That was not my 90s moment. (laughs) This one's kind of subtle, but I loved it so much. When they're sitting around the campfire and it's like the war council, so the Animorphs plus Toby plus Ava, there's a moment Mm -hmm. of kind of a lull in the conversation and there are three things described to kind of set the scene. The fire popped, Axe nailed a mosquito with the flat of his tail blade, but in between those is somebody's nylon jacket squeaked, which maybe (laughs) I'm wrong, but I don't don't think 90s nylon jackets are really a common thing now whereas in the 90s i absolutely can picture that sound as you're sitting around a campfire (laughs) yeah that's a great a great detail of its time i also really liked at one point they speed down the highway past a tv repair (laughs) van (laughs) i was like that's not a thing anymore my other 90s moment was i was a bullet a bullet with feathers and feeling pretty righteous oh my god The 90s were very silly and I loved them. I don't know if this is 90s, but you reminded me, Gray, when they get out of the limo, um, a bunch of like trucks and things get exploded. And one of them is like a Fritos truck because the line is like, Fritos (laughs) rains down upon us from the shattered van. 
I feel like Fritos were much more a part of my life in the 90s and early 2000s than they are in my adulthood. I don't know if that's because of my age or because Fritos are like passe now. Yeah. Now I want Fritos. Me too. Yeah, okay. You mean you want Fritos brand corn chips? Yes, that's exactly what I mean. Please pay us money to be a sponsor of our podcast. Yes, I think we should really get some sponsors on board for the last, like, five episodes. <laughs> the last two episodes, yeah. Well, no, our, our mailbag it will feature sponsors yeah. from our listeners. It's true. Right? Nicole, if you want to record a commercial for us to include in our mailbag or something. I will. That would be I will amazing. give some thought to that. Please okay, do. do we want to get into specific predictions or just, like, thoughts about the end of the book or, like... Wait, I have one more quick thing, which is, what the hell is the absolute? I think it might be um, things becoming public. It's not the logical way to describe it, but it is an absolute turning point. There's no going back from here. The thing happened, and there's like a clearly defined before and after this thing happened. But that's, again, not something you'd describe as I'll accept it, but I don't like it. I think the governor is the absolute, and the missing word is badass. Badass, yes. I like badass. They wanted to call it the absolute badass, but they can only use one word in the title. Sure. If they had called it the badass, I'd have been way more on board. <laughs> I'm now wishing that the, the series titles were all 90s homages to Friends episodes so that they'd be easier the to remember. With, so this yeah. is like yeah, the one with the governor. Great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or the one where Tobias has a duck spot. Or like <laughs> the one with the That's much more Friends title. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the covers are kind of like the one with the duck, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a little bit how I remember them sometimes. All right. Should we talk about prediction where a lot happened at the end of this book so what i will say is that this i knew that like it goes public at the end of this book and we're doing a mailbag next week as kind of like a breather because the last three books are definitely like a ending part one part two part three like this is definitely no holds barred end game starting as of this moment i'm glad we have a breather mm-hmm. also i hope that something helps me predict the end game at some point ever because i don't know what it is do we want to talk about this book specifically and then more broadly what's going to happen? Or Yeah, let's, let's should we just talk about the next book. The yeah, look at it. Guess what's not going to help you? Yeah. The inside cover. <laughs> How lucky for me. I, have the inside cover. I think the, the inside cover has been useful, I okay, think, so exactly book. once. It was useful with the Helmicrons. Yeah, and some of the ones we didn't let you look at early on would have been useful. Okay. The Helmicron one was very useful. Ooh. Thank you. Ooh, what uh, is he carrying? Um... Ooh, yeah, it's aw. real cute. I like it a lot, actually. All right. The cover and the the inside cover. Um, um, okay, it's an axe book. It's called The Sacrifice. Uh, this is one of the ones where in my list of titles, the title ends up being Sacrifice Axe, which I think is very funny. <laughs> um, well, there's a prediction. It's countdown time. Only two more books until the end. Uh, the cut text is, everyone has nightmares, but what happens when the nightmares are real? And it is axe morphing into a raccoon. And the raccoon has something in its mouth. I think all of these interim pictures are very cute. Yeah. As we discussed a couple books ago, it's possible that I'm less creeped out by the ones that are aliens or animals morphing into other animals than people. I don't really know. Um, What is this thing in its mouth? It's it's like some sort of metal device with a... It looks like a blinking red light and a little bit of a blue... um, screen like a display screen and then there's like a one straight antenna and a curling Uh, antenna that's not what a dracon beam looks like is it because a raccoon or the dracon beam is yeah that's not what they look like in my head but i can't uh 
Hmm. Are there any other alien devices floating around? Like, this isn't what the time matrix looks like or anything, That's a huge white sphere. Big sphere. And it's not the morphing cube. So I'm gonna go with Drake on beam. Can I help? I don't know what happens in this book, but it's pretty clear to me what that is. And I think you can help. Oh, what is it? (laughs) Yeah, what is it? It's obviously, like, the communicator thing. Oh, to talk to the Andalite? To, like, intercept Yerk. Z-Space transponder. Oh, the trans... Like, Yerk communications and that that kind of stuff. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I that don't know. Lot, Maybe it's not. I've had a lot more wires in my head. I don't know why. That, I uh, mean, okay. yeah, this does seem a little bit small and simplified. Maybe he made a portable version. Uh, I hope they're not introducing any new, like, brand new, super powerful alien technology um, this late in the series. So I, I want it to I be. I guess I can't guarantee describe. that they're not. Yeah. This is actually just the end of the war button. <laughs> Wait, okay, we didn't talk. I'm sorry, we have to talk about this. This is the book where they go public, and Rachel's not even in it. That's such a... I'm so, so mad that they didn't follow up on that, that thread. Because it was this whole thing of, like, yeah. which of the Animorphs want to go public. And Jake is just like, let's do it. Rachel has absolutely no response to it and isn't involved really at all. Respond. It's just, like, a complete yeah. dead end. Does she have any lines in this Disappointing. Book? Okay, sorry. I think she had, like, one line. Oh, she talks about the governor rant, being... Rant over. She talks about the governor. No, it's a really good point. All right. I suspect, just because of the way these books have gone, that... This is not going to be a book based on dream sequences mm-hmm. or nightmare sequences because then no, the don't worry, don't worry. That, all that BS is behind us. I I don't do I tr- I trust Ted. Yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> um, uh, okay. So, um, what are they going to have to sacrifice? Sorry, there's an extra raccoon leg on this cover, and what? I hate it. Like, just to the left of the title, there's a raccoon leg that's just way too far back in the progression and not attached to any of those bodies. Is it supposed to be from the third one? You're so right, though. I'm I'm very sorry to have interrupted your train of thought, but it's awful. No, it's real bad. Why is it not connected to anything? God, these covers are so awful. Nicole, any ideas about this? If Mm -hmm. it's the communicating device, then... Maybe Axe is going to have to sacrifice something in order to convince the Andalites mm-hmm. to return. Like, is he going to have to go as a That's hostage That's exactly what I was thinking, is that the sacrifice could be not losing Axe, like like not him sacrificing himself, but sacrificing him as a member of the team for some period Ooh, of time to make that happen. Rough. Yeah. I mean... Given that it's Axe and that we think that's the communicator device, I do think it's going to have something to do with communicating with the Andalites. Hopefully coordinating response rather than letting the National Guard do one thing and the Andalites do something and the Animorphs do a third completely separate thing, but that may be too much to hope. Um, And a raccoon so that um, Axe can get the communicating device quickly through the woods to you know, the pickup point or something like that. And I think at some point we're going to have to figure out what's going on with these, with the Yerk, like the temporary Yerk pools, because that seems like a bad thing. So maybe we're, I keep, every so often I just like to throw back in destroying Candrona rays because I feel like they should probably do that, Mm. but then it never happens. So I don't know. I'm going to throw back in. I don't know. Anything else that, uh, a question? Do we think this... What are the consequences yeah, of Yeah, I was just going to say, is the actual, like, army going to show up this book? Hmm. I wonder if it's going to be one of the things where they're, like, fighting on separate fronts. Because otherwise you'd have to have a lot more... It, otherwise you'd take away from the yeah. sort of Animorphs as the central characters. So if it'll be like, we're trusting the governor to take care of the infested 
army people, and then we're going to focus on our It town. feels like a cop-out for them not to be involved in the bigger picture, but I agree that it would seem to mess up the structure of the series if they were too too much a part of now broad military Counterpoint. Action. Not trying to influence your prediction, but what structure of the series? Yeah. we got three books to go. I would encourage you, maybe not the next book, but think. I want you to think big predictions for the last three books. Okay. We really, at some point, have mm. to conclude the Elemis storyline, right? Like, that. Ha- mm. that's going to happen, right? I- it's going to happen, right? We're not going to just leave it at the Cryak and the Elemis are still off fighting in I'm space. just very concerned here, that, right? because that thread is hanging out there, there could be a deus ex machina kind of wrap-up to this battle, as opposed to the Animorphs and humanity really genuinely winning themselves. And I would be disappointed, but somehow not yeah. shocked if that is a part of the final. Yeah, I, th- I would agree that the, that thread has been so, I mean, I was going to say continuous. It has not. It has popped up in so many places that it seems like it's going to be important to conclude the cryak Elemist version of the, of you know, Battle on Earth. Um, especially, I don't know, this didn't seem as important as it probably should have, but we learned recently that apparently Cryak can just get them off mm. by having Visser 1 leave with his forces, as opposed to, you know, them figuring out how to, like, capture Visser 1 and convincing the Council of 13 that Earth isn't worth it somehow. But, like, we also, like, what is happening with the Council of 13 now? And there's a lot of loose ends that are going to need to be wrapped up. Right, so um, do you think the war ends? It has to, right? Yeah. Do you think the Animorphs win? Yeah, I do definitely yes. think the Animorphs win. So if there is no deus ex machina, how do they get there in three books? So I... Uh... Uh... I think you should leave this whole stretch of silence because I think it's actually maybe <laughs> the substance of our response. Telling. <laughs> blank, blank. Um, um, okay, wait. I I really actually yeah. do think there's going to be a deus ex machina. Um, but if there isn't, then I think maybe we're going to find a way for the Animorphs to communicate with the Council of Thirteen and figure out some kind of deal where they get nothing and we get them to leave. <laughs> Why would they take that deal? I don't know, but they should. I don't, I don't want there to be a deal. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll approach this from another angle. We've got three books left and uh-huh. we have six characters that we know and love. What character yeah. beats do you expect from the six yeah. animorphs before the end game? Okay. Cassie's go ahead. I was about to say no, 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 Cassie dies. Yeah, Cassie's Cassie's gonna die. Me too. Um, yeah, Cassie dies. Mm-hmm. That's how she and Jake get reconciled. Yep. So Ooh. now Jake is upset about his girlfriend. Wait, so um, I see. But they. I don't want to. Are you saying Cassie gets fridged? Is my question. Probably. I think it's so. I think it's in the final book. Yeah. Okay. But probably towards the beginning of the final book. Towards the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that he has time to react, but also, it's not yeah. like people will still read the final book, which they might not if Cassie dies in the penultimate book. And then also, I do think that they save Tom. Like, maybe she, ooh, maybe the sacrifice is Cassie giving her life for Tom in some way. But that would be so. plausible but, to me, right. given how freaking much she sacrificed yeah. to keep controller Tom alive. Yeah. Um, so I think that Tom, they managed to save Tom, or he, like, becomes important somehow. In the last book, I said that I think at some point Tom, like, 
comes over to their side or his yerk joins the resistance or he brings the morph cube back to them. Like there's some redemption arc for Tom that allows Cassie's decision not to be quite as terrible as it actually is. Um, So that's kind of Cassie and Jake. Axe is going to have to decide whether he goes back to the Andalite homeworld or stays on Earth with Marco. And I feel like he does that one. Or Marco um, goes on adventures with him to the... We're never... Uh, that would be nice. Who kills Visser 1, though? Because um, somebody... Especially if there's any chance of a deal with the Yerks, Visser 1 is mm, dead before that happens. The deal, by the way, should involve them just being more capable slugs. But, um, yeah, right? But but so who's who's going to kill slug number That's one? That's a good point. Rachel. Rachel kills Visser one. So yeah, I think I think somehow Rachel gets um, to do a final murder spree and then <laughs> renounces violence you forever. You think she's going to join the military um, or something and help keep peace by getting her violent impulses no, out? No, <laughs> she is going to become no, no, no. But she'll be like a po- I don't know. What did we see of her in the future glimpse we got in book seven? Maybe I don't know. She was she'll a be controller. oh, she was a controller, right? I was like, she was important somehow. Uh, not that. Okay, um, so I want your take on Tobias, and I also yeah. want your take on Jake. So, like, you have him through the end of the book, but, like, yeah. how does sad. he end up? Sad, but, but with sad. his family. Okay. Sad. Sullen. And, and honoring Cassie's but with the memory and sacrifice yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Tobias, Tobias? goes, back to, goes and... back to being a person. Um, that said, I think the Elemist will make him a more yeah. capable person before the Elemist f*** off forever. I think so, too. <laughs> And yep, he and Rachel agreed. will have a happy ending in the way that awesome. high schoolers have a happy ending, where we don't necessarily believe that they're going to get married and be together forever and ever, but we can pretend like that for a minute. Exactly. At the end of Wait, so Even though guys... he'll be like three years younger than her at this point, but that's okay. Are you guys arguing against <laughs> the double wedding ending? Yeah. I am, because so I think un- Unless dies. Jake's going to oh, come around and yeah, just marry okay. Marco, um, I don't think the double wedding seems likely. I also like the idea of because they're minors, all their parents having to sign off on the double wedding and then being like, whatever, our kids are pretty mature at this point after the war. We'll let them make this decision. (laughs) Such a good point. Oh my gosh. So no time jump. Just, you know, double wedding at 16. It'll be wonderful. Love it. Oh yeah. Toby's (laughs) the best, best work this year. I am so excited to read the rest of the series. I am. I am. (laughs) I'm worried. I'm so worried. Me too. Um, I don't know what happens to most of it. Pace with you guys and not read them all this week and know what's coming in future episodes. But Mm. I will say, I think after this conversation with you, I'm going to be a lot more one-sidedly interactive. Like I'm going to be talking back at your podcast more, trying to insert my ideas weeks after you've recorded. Leave comments. (laughs) Leave comments. Send us texts. Email us. Ted keeps like, I told Ted like most of like the stuff that I could remember about the ending. So he keeps being like, oh, so you don't remember what happens with this thing or this thing? I'm like, no, I don't remember. And why are you giving me There is a word that did not come up in this episode at all that is like absolutely integral to the end game. And I'm so happy. And I absolutely. don't remember. I you obviously can't tell us the Please. word, but I, I'm going to put like a reminder I in know. my calendar for <laughs> however many weeks out in the future to be like, Ted, what was the word? I know. I'm a terrible tease. It's... <laughs> It's true. A T is a liar. It's all very bad. So that that okay. seems about it. Uh, yeah, we're going to do a mailbag and then we're going to head into the end game. Nicole, it was right in- so great to have you here for this. Yeah, Nicole, thank you so much for being here. And it was super, you're, you were super such cool a great to, guest uh, participate host. in this in real time. <laughs> Yay! Yay! All right, we're not going to say actually right. goodbye. <laughs> okay. Instructions about sending us stuff. 
If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Oh my god. What? Oh, it's the giant bug? It's a really big spider. No! Oh, scary. I just want to show our friends how absolutely awful... No, why are you showing us? Good lord! <laughs> what is wrong with you? Get it the f*** out of your house! Not big, yeah, but yeah. extremely really solid. Upset. Like, I'm you so know sorry. it's gonna grow up and be enormous. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Is it a, is it a baby not... wolf spider? No, it is a, uh, a jumping spider. No, no, oh. no! But no, it's there's such a worse, worse, worse. Commonly referred to as the daring jumping spider or bold jumping spider. <laughs> But you see, it has the green fangs oh. and the white spots. I'm yeah, pretty sure like that's it. what it was. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, no, no, no. Is it like Onyx. nickel size? That is the worst yeah. possible modifier. For yeah, I don't like it. Why does it jump? Jumping. Bad, 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 bad. I'm so glad it didn't jump on me. I would have <laughs> <laughs>